I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. Here with me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. Oh, uh, sorry. I was just watching Jeff Teague highlights. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, we're ready now. And Mike Minka. Absorb that Jeff Teague greatness. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having a little more time on my hands since I'm not obsessively re- refreshing Twitter and the Celtics blog Slack and and trying to catch up on highlights of uh, unexpected draft picks. Wait, we're not still doing that? <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one told me. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we are talking about free agency. We're going to hit Jason Tatum's uh, extension. We're going to talk about Gordon Hayward. We're going to talk about additional moves, Tristan Thompson, Jeff Teague, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Let's get into it. The most important uh, thing that the Celtics could have done and did do this offseason is they re-signed Jason Tatum to an extension. Uh, so he uh, that will kick in not this year, but the year after. Four years plus a player option. The amount is determined by whether he makes an, another all, uh, what do they call it? <laughs> all league team. All NBA. All NBA. All yeah. NBA. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a professional podcaster for the NBA. Um, and, uh, and there is also some, um, uh, some contract language that will increase it depending on other factors. Um, uh, but basically once, uh, Mitchell signed, they had to give him this deal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard after the last two player options with Horford and Hayward, not to be a little worried, but that is five years down the road. Let's be excited about this. This was a good off season just because of this move. What do you guys think of it? Wait, so he, it was what total 192 or 196 million? What was One, it? 193, I believe. Um, maybe 196. Yeah. Uh, five year deal with the fifth year player option. It depends. And why Assu- do we think assuming, it- assuming he gets the 30% of the salary cap, which you right. would get if he gets all NBA, which we are, have reason to believe will happen. And why wasn't this the first thing that happened in the offseason, right? As, as the Celtics Pride crew recommended on the last podcast, like number one, sign Jason Tatum. Why was that well, the last thing to happen? I'm sure it was uh, the first thing that the uh, Celtics brass led off with. It, so Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell uh, both are, are the first two um, rookie extension signees to have a fifth-year player option. So my guess is that there was a negotiation around that. Um, I also would imagine, I mean, this is all speculative, but Donovan Mitchell's extension came out uh, a bit before Tatum's. It's possible that once the the option was included in Mitchell's, then the Celtics' hands were forced and they gave the option to Tatum as well. Um, Accurate. But but this is so I'm I'm sure this was priority number one for every person involved in the Celtics organization. And they as soon as they were allowed to um, were extending this offer, a full five year extension 
at the max to Tatum. I mean, the the things that need to that can be negotiated in these contracts are the triggers for escalating from the 25% max, which is what a player with less than seven years experience is eligible for absent that all NBA um, designation or uh, this, this player option in the fifth year. Um, and the Celtics gave very favorable terms to Tatum on both. So I, I imagine that's where the, the negotiating was taking place. That's what led to a very modest delay of like two and a half days. <laughs> um, and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, per, per Adam's point, we still have Jason Tatum on the team for five more years before that player option. Cause this is an extension. So he still has one more year on his rookie deal before this extension even goes into effect. The trade moratorium ended so teams could start trading and then we had the draft and free agency didn't start. Uh, so this, I mean, this happened pretty quickly. Yeah, but in the context of this offseason, it was like six weeks. Okay, let's no. move on. <laughs> they couldn't, they no, weren't allowed no, no. to sign him until like uh, two days ago. Correct. No, I understand, but those two days in the context, why am I explaining this over again? Let's move on. <laughs> okay. In the context, in the context of this offseason, which has moved at warp speed, those two days are like six weeks. That's all I'm saying. Gordon Hayward. <laughs> leaves after i mean part of the reason those those two days felt like six months was because of the gordon hayward watch and uh so he signs 120 million with charlotte omg and uh uh mike i want to go to you first because there's still a lingering question about whether this is a sign and trade or just a free agent signing by charlotte what's the latest with that so the latest is we have we have no idea i mean so what was originally reported (laughs) is well what was originally reported by um i think it's rick bonnell uh from the hornet charlotte observer um reported that charlotte was waving and stretching nick batum who has one year and 27 million dollars left on his deal so if he gets waved and stretched you add two years to the remaining years on his contract and then um the cap gets hit by what would be three years divided equally across the 27. So it would be $9 million a year against Charlotte's cap over the next three years, even though they would, I think they would actually pay it all out this year, but that doesn't really matter. Um, So that was originally reported. And then Adam uh, Himmelsbach of the Boston Globe reported later on that evening that actually there were some discussions uh, starting up and a sign and trade was still possible. And basically since then, uh, and that was like two days ago, we're recording on Monday evening. Um, uh, it's gone dark. Uh, there, there's been no substantive update at this time. Uh, in macro, that's probably really good news for the Celtics um, and for Charlotte, frankly, because it's not good for Charlotte to have $9 million of dead money on their books uh, over the course of three years. In all likelihood, they were <laughs> they were saying that they were gonna wave and stretch Batum as a way to leverage getting more from the Celtics in a sign and trade conversation. And <laughs> Charlotte's track record on cap management is bad enough that it, the Celtics might actually fall for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so it's it's it would, be much better for Charlotte to not have $9 million in dead money on their books and to get an asset or two from the Celtics, like a second round pick, two second round picks, maybe something else. Um, And then for the Celtics, if they're able to do a sign and trade where they take back less salary or no salary 
from Charlotte, then they're going to create a traded player exception um, of the the kind of gap in the salary exchange. And that could enable the Celtics to, they don't have to do it immediately, but to acquire another player that fits into that um, traded player exception. So if the Celtics are, if the, if the delay in kind of the finalization of this Gordon Hayward signing with Charlotte is the Celtics uh, and Hornets working out the, the, the specifics on a sign in trade, um, that's going to net the, the Celtics a traded player exception, or I suppose prospectively some players. Um, that's a win for the Celtics. It is too soon to make draw a complete conclusion on this trade until we know all of the factors. But Celtics fans lost it when they found out about it, uh, be, partly because there were rumors that basically it was down to Indiana or potentially re-signing Hayward. Uh, Indiana was rumored to be offering four years, 100, so 25 million a year to Hayward, and to uh, uh, in order to for that sign and trade to work, that they would send um, Turner and either McDermott or potentially Warren or Oladipo back to Boston, and that it was just a matter of uh, Boston figuring out uh, it, whether they could get enough from Indiana, and then Hayward turns around and goes to Charlotte. Uh, Boston fans uh, shifted again once they started learning about Tristan Thompson and others. But um, how do you guys look at the, these rumors? I mean, I don't feel like we can ever really know. We're never going to fully find out what happened. Uh, how do you look at the rumors, the way that uh, Mark Bartlestein managed the situation for Gordon Hayward, the way that Danny Ainge managed this? Uh, Josh, let's start with you. So I'm curious. I want to know in the negotiations that we supposedly heard about with Indiana, you know, did did was there actually a conversation about Miles Turner, you know, and and did Danny say no? Like, do we know that Danny turned that down? And the answer is no. We don't know that. So this rumor, just like all the rumors, just like the Westbrook for John Wall rumor that didn't happen, you know, they're just rumors. So I think to put too much stock into any of these rumors is not is not appropriate. It just sends. It sends the fans in, in tailspins, and it sends you guys in tailspins. It's not, uh, it doesn't help us at all. So we got to understand these are just rumors. You're like fully secure, comfortable all the time. No tailspinning for you. No, no, I'm, I'm even keeled like Brad Stevens. Okay, so you, I agree with that in principle, Josh. However, both Nate Duncan and Zach Lowe in their podcast that were released on Monday expressed that they basically heard that the deal that was out there was really out there. The, that Turner and McDermott for Hayward was on the table and that Hayward had a four-year $100 million deal available from Indiana. And that Danny Ainge turned it down? No. Yes. 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 Really? And, that, and Zach Lowe basically said that as he understood it, it really kind of boiled down to the Celtics just didn't want Miles Turner on that contract. And they uh, apparently had done some research around the league and weren't impressed by the return that they could get if they wanted to move on from him based on some of the intelligence they gathered. And I think they decided that they preferred kind of their, the, the, what they've done instead of getting that haul from Indiana. So, I mean, if Celtics, I mean, personally, I'm okay with that. I was never that excited about Turner and I wasn't excited. I definitely wasn't excited about the Turner and McDermott combination. Um, all of that said, 
I do think there's a fair question here as to whether uh, Ainge overplayed his hand because my guess and, and a little bit of a teaser for, for folks next week, we're going to be releasing a podcast with uh, a, an amazing interview with Michael Hawley um, about his new book called big, the big three. Uh, and there's a great anecdote at the start of that book talking about Danny Ainge's initial uh, salary negotiation with the Celtics. And I, and, and I won't give away the details there um, other than to say that Ainge held the line in effect. And I, I couldn't help but keep, have that anecdote, that idea in my mind, thinking about this trade negotiation with Indiana. I would guess that Ainge thought that he basically it was just a staring match with him and Mark Bartlestein and Indiana. There were no other viable suitors that Hayward was going to go with. And so Ainge was just going to ask for everything he wanted and he was going to stay there. And he wanted either um, Warren or he wanted Oladipo uh, in addition to Turner. And he, I think he thought he was going to get his way. And I think no one saw Charlotte coming out of left field with this four-year, $120 million offer. As a negotiation nerd, so one, you're right. Danny Ainge gets an idea in his head about what the value is that he uh, thinks something is worth. And he uh, will just hammer until he gets that value. But your success in a negotiation is determined by whether whatever you agree to with a party is better than what you could do without their, their permission your best alternative to a negotiated agreement or BATNA. Uh, and I'm wondering whether Danny expected that his best alternative was just to re-sign Gordon Hayward and that he could go to him and say, look, we're not getting what we want from Indiana. So either sign as a free agent with somewhere else, or we'll give you the four years, uh, $100 million, 25 a year. Um, and he, and like you said, Mike, he got surprised by Charlotte. Did Josh and Mike, do you think that he knew that Charlotte was this dark horse? Or do you think he was surprised as well? It was a surprise. Totally speculative, right? I have no idea what Danny right. Ainge is thinking. But, you know, I if I were Danny Ainge... Um, I would probably be interpreting stuff from Mark Bartlestein about like the Knicks interest and the Hawks interest. And even the Hornets interest is like kind of blowing smoke, trying to get me to move on something that I didn't think was the a good, good value to get ultimately to get Gordon Hayward to Indiana, which by early accounts was his preferred destination. I, I would, you know, I would think that Ainge very likely could have been interpreting that information as in in that way and not inclined to believe that there was really a, a non-contending option uh, of interest to Hayward, which is ultimately what he picked, right? He like the Hornets are not going to be in the mix at the top of the Eastern Conference. Mark Bartlestein, I think, played this perfectly, just as he did last year with Al Horford. He got the most money for his client. You got to remember that Charlotte was the team that offered uh, when Gordon Hayward was was with Utah and was coming was a, re, a restricted free agent towards the end of his um, at the end of his rookie contract, he got a big offer from Charlotte. Utah matched it, and and Hayward was kind of upset that he had to go back to Utah. Um, so they they've had mutual affinity for a long time. This is an insane offer 
from Michael Jordan. This is way too much money for Gordon Hayward. They, he better be a top 20 player in the league. He better lead them to the playoffs. It's almost shocking that someone as competitive as Michael Jordan is consistently constructs a roster that is only going to make the playoffs as if that is success. Um, and what is most interesting to me, and this is almost like a general curiosity around NBA players, is what went into the decision for Gordon Hayward. It, it's, you can't fault him for this. Um, obviously, his tenure in Boston was, was not his fault. He got injured. And, but to me, so this is going to, at the end of this contract, Gordon Hayward will have made $320 million career earnings in the NBA. Daddy's always happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, no matter what, you know, after taxes, after fees to agents and everybody else, whatever ends up happening, that's a, a ton of money. His, his kids, his grandkids, they should all be set. Um, you know, it's, it is beyond life-changing money. The $20 million that he's getting from Charlotte on top of what, uh, what, I'm, what sounds like a, was a real offer from Indiana and what I'm assuming was what Boston would have been willing to pay as well uh, is 6% of his career earnings. Is that 6% really a difference maker in this decision? Is it the fact that somebody else is giving more money? To me, I'm looking at this and I'm going, Gordon Hayward clearly values the role that he's going to have in Charlotte as the guy or one of the guys, which he just didn't have anymore here in Boston. Wait, I want to go back a a couple steps and then I want to go to what you were just saying. So you said Mark Borlstein, you know, executed perfectly, which certainly from a maximizing the offer is absolutely correct. But I wonder if you go and ask Al Horford how he feels about his choice right now after Mm -hmm. getting shipped to OKC after what by all accounts was a pretty um, uh, non-harmonious season in in Philadelphia last last year, um, where the fans certainly did not enjoy his presence. And then, so that that you know, I I, I wonder if it's going to be interesting to see how this goes for Gordon Hayward on that front. So I, I mean, I thought about that as I was saying it, and I think if you ask Horford, he might have some slight regret, but it's not Mark Bartlestein's job to make the decision for Gordon Hayward his, or Al Horford. It's Bartlestein's job to get the best options available and oh, advise yeah, his client. And then it's, it's on his client. They're the ones making the decision. Unless yes. Bartlestein is like pressure, overly pressuring his clients. But if he were to do that, then he would lose clients. Like somebody like Horford would say, you know what? You pressured me too much. I shouldn't have actually made that move. I'm going with a different agent. There's, right. there's a lot of good agents out there. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's, there's regret. Um, from Bartlestein, for right, sure. But at that at that point, Bartlestein's already made his you know percentage, his agent percentage off of the contract. So uh, there, agents overpressure players all the time, and players fire agents all the time. And so, because player fi- players fire agents all the time, agents continue to push their clients because they're going to get fired anyway, most likely. How do, when do they get paid, Josh? They get paid at the con- when when the contract is signed. That's why agents okay. who have a player will get fired right before the big contract. So Bartlestein is getting whatever five percent or whatever it is of one twenty from Gordon Hayward. Now, yeah, lump yep. sum as opposed to as opposed to the same percentage of twenty million less. So there's a lot of incentive for the agent. 
Um, okay, so I want to go back, Adam, to, to what you were starting to say about the role. So I, I, I wanted to give you guys a question here and just rate by percentages. Uh, I, I identified three primary factors that contributed to, uh, <laughs> to Gordon Hayward's decision. One, as you said, is role. Two, an obvious one here, money. And three, just an FU to Ainge for the way that he was probably staring down Kevin Pritchard and the Indiana Pacers when Gordon just wanted to go to Indiana. So by percentage, which percent, like <laughs> what percentage would you give each of those three factors in contributing to Hayward's decision here? Money, role, and sticking it to Ainge. Before we answer, I just want to see, Josh, is there any categories you would add that you think are big enough of factors that you would add to this? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, I think that the, the, there's a, a reorganization of priorities with Hayward and the Haywards in general of their, you know, the, the, the stuff with, the, with his wife and not liking fans, Boston fans specifically, just the pressure in Boston and the intensity of, of the fan base and the expectations. Um, there's also the, the, when you talk about his role, there's also like his social role on the team um, as being like, I don't know, the buttoned up white boy on the team kind of a thing. Um, I don't know if he always, if he ever really fit fit in all the way. Um, there was obviously the stuff with the team with Rozier and Marcus Morris and Kyrie Irving where he definitely didn't fit in and was seen as being given playing time by other players, uh, by Brad Stevens. And, you know, I think that I wonder if he ever shed that skin of not really fitting in all the way, even with the team that was so uh, together this year that seemed to enjoy each other's presence. Like he still didn't really he wasn't reliable. They couldn't rely on him. They couldn't trust him. So he was that guy to this team. And I think he needed a new identity. He needed a clean slate. So role or identity is one. Number two is money. Number three is FU to Danny. Number four is Boston fans or pressure. Josh, what do you think? Uh, how would you rank order those? I think FU to Ainge is last. I don't think he really wants to give Ainge an FU. Like Ainge would have paid him a lot of money, millions and millions, you know, probably more than I would have. So uh, I think that's last. That's, a, that's a, the least priority. And I don't, I don't know if Gordon Hayward has always seemed to me like he was the type of guy who was going to be able to fit into a team concept. He was always the kind of guy who, you know, started from nothing and and grew six, seven inches, and then all of a sudden put everything together. And you know, he wasn't supposed to be in the NBA, and he knew that his whole childhood. You know, uh, he's he's the kind of player that should have more perspective than to make a decision like this to go for big money for a huge role that's above his head, and you know, he he's making a choice not to win. He's choosing not to win. That's what, and, and Horford, you could kind of say the same thing about him a little bit. You know, these guys are choosing situations that are not good fits. It's not a good fit. And so you're not going to win in a situation like that. Well, with Horford, he was going to a team that was yeah. via, very viably in the conversation for yeah. the top of the Eastern Conference. And a lot of players after, or a lot of people after Horford went there thought they were going to be the favorites. Josh, I agree that that I don't think there's as much ill will to Danny. That's that's definitely last. What's most interesting to me, obviously, money is always really important to these guys, but typically less so when you get to the point of your career that you, when you're a star like Hayward, that you've made a couple hundred million, 
And uh, that unless you're, you, you know, really trying, unless you have a, a goal of becoming a global icon or owning a team in the future or something like that, um, and you really have the opportunity to, to, if fully maximizing your money, to really get close to a billion dollars, then we're talking a different story. I haven't heard anything about that from Hayward. What's most interesting to me is, is like how the role appears to be a bigger deal than I ever would have initially thought. My assumption is typically that these guys want to win. I think it's pretty obvious that Gordon Hayward is not a top player in the league anymore and will not be a top player in the league anymore, even if he has a different opportunity, a different role. Um, it doesn't surprise me that he that that the Boston fans and the pressure uh, is I'm not, I don't want to say a little much for him, but is is something that that he prefers not to have. Not that's just not a fit for everybody. I, it's just a fascinating case study to me uh, because I would have expected that even with this 120 offer from Charlotte, that Hayward would have preferred to come either come back to Boston or to go to Indiana for four and 125. And it, it felt like those were both on the table, unless he was just done with Boston. But even then, Indiana was still on the table. Well, but it, it, I mean, so it sounds like Indiana wasn't on the table in that it sounds like Indiana wasn't making an offer of interest to the Celtics. So uh, then it came down, then it came down to the Celtics versus at four one four. 25 or maybe not even quite that much maybe it was a little less i don't know but presumably let's assume it was the same yep. uh, versus charlotte so i do i you know i was thinking about this as and and i do think the role is probably a huge factor and i and i think of it this way like you know and, and other people have obviously said this but hayward went to boston right he went to boston recruited by it and horford he, th- he was going to be the best player on the team, right? For sure. Like he was definitely better than IT, uh, going to be more versatile, dynamic than Horford, right? Hor- those guys were going to fit around him. Then all of a sudden Kyrie comes and he gets injured and everything kind of crumbles from there. Uh, Tatum and Brown emerge and all of that. But I feel like psychologically, like he, you know, it, you were talking about like veterans like Josh that get to like later part in their career and are kind of ready to accept a reduced role. I feel like he hasn't, he'd never, he probably feels like he never got the chance to prove whether he could do it as the guy. Like he was just becoming the guy in Utah. Yeah. And then he came to Boston poised to be the guy with it and Horford around him, this young, these young players developing on his team. And then a series of things happened that changed it. So I just feel like there's a part of him that pro- probably has this itch that hasn't been scratched. And he, I don't, I don't think he's going to succeed at the level he hopes to or wants to. But he is a very good player when healthy. Absolutely. Very, very good player. Um, and I think he probably needs to kind of see how far he can take it in this role. I, I think there's a part of him that just needs to satisfy that. That that's my interpretation here, and the and and then one hundred twenty million dollars doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, and and playing in a climate like Charlotte, it's a nice place to live, and it's a, a easy uh, fan base, easy climate for basketball. He he chose the easy way out, and and I'm gonna keep it real when it comes to him. Like he, you know, 
You chose the easy way out. It's really simple. Here's the thing, though. I kind of like this Charlotte roster. They're building something there. You know, there's, it's not like they got a bunch of trash there. I'm serious. LaMelo Ball sliding in at the point guard. Right. You got Graham and Rozier there with Hayward on the wing. Miles Bridges, is, you know, he learned to shoot last year. I didn't think that would happen. He did? Um, and yeah. And PJ, you know, he's league average. And PJ Washington is, is still, in my opinion, like he may be the best player on that whole team. Uh, he's going to be really good. He's a player that that we passed on. Um, yep. He's he's a Marcus Morris, uh, TJ Warren type of player, but can really play the five as well. Um, and then they drafted Vernon Carey for their second round pick. They've got some some pieces there that I think the fan base should be excited about. You know, but are they going to win big with Hayward? No, he chose the easy way out. No, I think. Well, I don't know. I, I, he definitely chose a way out. I, I think it's clear he didn't want to stay in his same position in Boston. I, I don't know that it's going to be, e- it's easy to try to be the man on a team that, um, you know, people criticize someone like KD for going to a team that with a proven track record of winning. If Hayward was a free agent and chose to go to the Celtics this year, after they went to the Eastern conference finals versus going choosing to go to his own team, you wouldn't look at it as him picking the easy way out. So uh, it obviously wasn't working for him in Boston. I think I think that is <laughs> the clearest thing you can conclude. Uh, cer- certainly enough so that a $20 million difference and, and, a, and a larger role were more than compelling enough for him to want to sign with Charlotte over returning to Boston. Josh loves Vernon Carey, and, and maybe he's right about it. I, I will. I just don't see it. Josh, P.J. Washington, I, I think is good. He's solid. He, he's like a rotation piece, maybe a starter in the league. He, he went 12th in the draft. We did not pass on him. We passed on Brandon Clark. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this roster. LaMelo's going to take some time. He's got a, a lot, huge flaws in his game, and, and I am certainly not certain that he's going to turn into an all-star for sure. I think he could be potentially a bust he could be uh solid like his brother uh, but he's got huge flaws that need to be ironed out and it's going to certainly going to take time gordon's 30 already uh and uh with the amount of the overpay for gordon hayward this is going to be ugly on their cap sheet and that's going to hamstring them uh terry rosier's already <laughs> posted something on twitter with like bags packed saying <laughs> Like indicating like maybe he's not sure where his place on the roster is anymore with Graham and uh, and Lamelo. Uh, I just don't I don't see the same thing that you are with that roster, uh, and certainly not with their front office. There, there I, there's no way if you want to make a bet on this, like I I'm in on that. Maybe they may they're an eighth seed. So here's here's the. There's the second funny part about the Rozier thing. This is not the first time that Rozier's had his playing time cut because of Gordon Hayward coming to town. I was thinking that too. They didn't necessarily love each other in Boston. This move, this move by Gordon Hayward, is it signals kind of a changing of the Celtics' identity in a, in, in a way as well, where the Celtics are moving on from this idea that they're going to be the only team in the league right now because the Warriors are so injured with three you know, gigantic wings with Tatum, Brown and Hayward. We always had a mismatch on the wing, the most important position um, on the court. And, and the Celtics kind of signaled, 
or Gordon Hayward signaled for them that this is the end of that identity for the Celtics. So what's our new identity? Let's start. Are, are we a Celtics pod? Let's talk about the Celtics. All right. So the Celtics made some moves and we are going to give our thoughts on them right after this. The Celtics, in response to Gordon Hayward leaving, they used their full MLE, signing Tristan Thompson. They signed Jeff Teague to the minimum, right, Mike? We think so. Um, probably the minimum. I, I think there's still a possibility that it's the, the biannual exception. Um, as far as I can tell, that hasn't been formally announced yet, and I would imagine it will be informed in part by how things resolved with Hayward and the, the sign-and-trade. We did not pick up our option on Brad Wanamaker, which did not necessarily mean he was gone, but he did sign with Golden State. Uh, we traded Cantor. Poirier's gone. We picked up the option on Daniel Tice and on Shemi Ojale. Let's talk about Tristan Thompson first. Uh, how good is he? Mike, I know you're very pro. Josh is pretty pro. I am not. Uh, I just... Uh, and I... I am. I know that Adam Taylor, who who does the Celtics pod on this feed, is currently combing through literally hundreds of defensive position uh, possessions to to see uh, Tristan Thompson's abilities here, his switchability, which I know that he did could do three years ago when he was in the finals with the Cavs. Uh, but he's 29 now. I'm not certain that he can in the same way. Um, I know that others on the blog disagree, Keith Smith for one. How do you see Tristan Thompson? We argued about him last year or a year ago or two years ago. I've been wanting Tristan Thompson for like two years, three years. Uh, His salary was onerous while he was kind of wasting away on a terrible Cavs team uh, alongside Kevin Love. It was basically the two of them and a bunch of gunk. Um, Tristan Thompson is a highly athletic versatile defender he shows up in playoffs in big moments uh he's a good team guy uh he was good for the locker room and with the young players even though they were bad in cleveland by all accounts um uh uh, he does have one major red flag which is that he has involvement with a kardashian major red flag (laughs) but on on the basketball court um he is maybe the only guy on the market that i think you can say can viably defend Giannis, anthony davis and bam Adebayo. And he can probably hold his own pretty decently against joel Embiid, though that's not i don't think an ideal matchup for him he can switch on the perimeter. He's he, he's going to have to learn the Celtics system. He's a um, but he's an elite offensive rebounder. He killed us in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs. We weren't a very big team. We were not a very good rebounding team. But he destroyed us on the offensive glass in those series. You know he he was very integral to the championship Cavs teams that were able to beat the. Um, 73 win regular season golden state warriors like he is he is no joke as a high level performing player um in in big time moments he's basically like in between daniel tice and rob williams he's a slightly less bouncy stronger sturdier version of rob williams which i'm with a much better basketball iq at this point in his career what you Mike, what you were saying was, was working for me, and then you said slightly <laughs> less bouncy than Robert Williams, and you lost all credibility. 
So, Adam, this is what happens when you have a Celtics fan who watches other players on another team only when they play against the Celtics <laughs> and then does player comparisons with only players on the Celtics. Uh, but you're right, though. That's the thing, though, Mike. You're actually you're, you're spot on about him. Yeah, he, nothing he, I said was he wrong. Still, <laughs> he still averages. <laughs> he still averages. Say one thing I said that was wrong. And what, what's wrong with slightly less bouncy than Robert Williams? It's wrong. He's not slightly. He's far less bouncy. He's not. I don't think he's as far as less bouncy. You're wrong as he, that, as you that think. he should be compared. Oh my god! Stop arguing semantics on a good podcast, Mike. He's he's he averages four offensive rebounds a game. Still, you know, Adam says that age 29. He doesn't think he can switch anymore. 29 is not old, Adam. Like this guy, he's he's the only guy who played really hard every single minute, every single game on the Cavs, on the whole team. The only guy who really yep. like showed grit and toughness um he brings that identity back to the celtics which we've been missing since aaron baines left and that's kind of the move here is is you're not just getting rid of horford uh sorry hayward but you're you're adding somebody who's tough and and hopefully you know i think that there's a little bit of a trend here where uh ainge is looking for a little bit more off the bench offensively he's looking for more toughness out of each of his guys individually and he's bringing in this one dude who's going to bring toughness back to to help out Marcus Smart, you know, who's the only guy with that identity. Uh, the Celtics' best players are soft. They need an enforcer to back them up, and Tristan Thompson is that guy. Um, you know, he he's look for him to start games, and uh, so that Daniel Tice can save all his fouls for the last three quarters, <laughs> and look for him not to finish games because he can't shoot free throws. You know, he's like a 60, 55% free throw shooter. And he also, he switched hands like five years ago. Shooting free throws. Yeah. Shooting all of his perimeter shots. He used to shoot lefty and now he shoots righty. Oh, wow. I thought it was just the free throws. That's great. Yeah, he's like the only player ever in the NBA to do, to do that. <laughs> According to Bob Ryan. So, Adam, why are you against Tristan Thompson? So I, why are you I, not in on this? I love his toughness. This guy will stand up to all of the tough guys in the NBA. He will not back down from anybody. He will call out the star players for missing defensive assignments. And that is all of that is something that we missed in the playoffs against Miami. We got out-toughed. I love the fact that, that he's on the team for that reason. His rebounding is great. Offensively, He's not, he doesn't bring much. He's going to set picks, which I like. He'll finish a little bit around the rim. He's not an above the rim guy. So he's not, he's not a lob candidate necessarily. Um, and uh, he's not, a, he's like an okay finisher uh, within five to 10 feet, but he's not going to stretch the floor at all. Um, the fact that he's less playable because he actually of started shooting threes last year. Yeah. Like what? 20 something of them and shot them at yes. a decent rate. I do not want him shooting threes. Get, don't if yeah there's no way i'm sorry it's like if you think that he's going to stretch the floor that he's going to actually like get a defender to come out on him you're wrong if you think brad stevens isn't going to encourage him to shoot threes and you're wrong hey <laughs> it's going to be like ennis Cantor. yeah i don't think brad stevens is going to encourage tristan thompson to shoot threes either i'll take that bet o- over 53 on the season let's do it whoa okay so all right done it's, it's Hold happening. On, let me take this down. Tristan Thompson, 53. Uh, over under 49.5. I'll take the over. Uh, what are we betting? We'll talk about it later. Okay, so in addition, I am concerned about his his defensive ability. Mike, I know that you think he's fantastic. I, I think he's going to body up. He's a big body. 
he's going he's going to slow down bigger guys, but he's not going to stop a Joel Embiid, and uh, he's not a like real anchor of a defense in my mind. And I and I don't know how switchable he is. I am open to being wrong. And Mike, I I, I fully encourage you to like help me see the light here. Maybe we need to have a, a recurring segment on the podcast where you hold my hand and coddle me a little bit. Uh, I, I want to come around on him. Part of my, my issue is, and I think this is true for, for other Celtics fans, when you compare it to the idea of having Miles Turner, who I have loved since pre-draft, um, I would prefer to have Miles Turner. And it, it, brings, it brings up the question of, would you rather have McDermott and Turner, or would you rather have well, no, because it's not an either or. We would we could have had Tristan Thompson anyway. And the other piece of it is it's the full MLE, and I would have liked to have filled the center spot with somebody else and used the full MLE on another player instead of not getting Turner. Now we, we kind of have to use it on a big. But would you do you think Turner or Tristan Thompson are better for this team? Oh, it's no question. Yeah, I think it's Thompson, and it's no. I think Josh and I. This is one of the only things that we like fully agree on. Like we both think Turner, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we both, I'm pretty sure we both think Turner is super soft and is not worth worth anything in the playoffs. And Thompson is the opposite. Like he's gritty. He's tough. He's versatile defensively. He's a rebounder. He's, he's going to be there in the big moments when you need him. And Turner is just going to float away. I I just. But Turner's Turner's the more talented higher upside player turner is actually the better player in a vacuum but on this team what we Mm -hmm. need is not more soft skilled guys we need guys who are tough guys with pedigree guys who've been there we need some veterans right everybody you know agrees that this team needs some veterans and that's what we got i mean we got tristan thompson he's got the pedigree he's a tough guy but he's also a little bit of an instigator we got another instigator in jeff teague you know jeff teague i just watched the whole highlight reel of jeff jeff teague cheap shotting opponents and really inappropriate like non-basketball plays um so he's a little bit of a fake tough guy i saw that too you know but the, but i'd rather have a fake tough guy than someone who's soft and jeff teague is a high high pedigree player high draft pick out of kentucky you know we'll he's, he's been around top players like these that's what we're adding here and we're getting better with these additions each of them even though they're not you know the, the star or the borderline star player that we wish we would have gotten in exchange for losing hayward so Biggs develops slowly. Turner's only 25. Uh, he can stretch the floor. He definitely cannot. He's not switchable, uh, but he can anchor a defense. Uh, he's not. No, he can't. He's not. He he's, he's provides rim protection. He can in the regular season. He's a better regular season player. So here's Tristan my question. Tristan Thompson is much better in the playoffs. Is this shorter term thinking? Like part of the reason no. that I like Turner for this no. team not necessarily for this year, is that he's he's on a contract for three years. He's 24. He, he's timeline, on a bad contract. His timeline fits the, the other young stars that we have. Adam, Miles Turner moved like he was 24 when he entered the league. <laughs> he moved like he was 50. He runs like he's got like a, a big poop in his pants. Like he can't, he can't anchor <laughs> a defense. He's, he's a shot blocker. If you challenge him at the rim, he'll be there and he'll meet your shot. That's mm-hmm. the only good thing he does on defense. His pick and roll defense is terrible. He doesn't help well. He doesn't move his feet. He can't move ladder. Like he can't anchor a defense. You saw he was one of the worst players on the the USA team. You know, with Marcus Smart, Kemba, Jalen, and Jason. 
he he disappeared. You know, starting in those games, he was terrible. Yeah, could you? I just I feel like if Miles Turner played next to LeBron James, he would be traded out of town or on the bench immediately. Like, I I don't think it can or should be overlooked that Tristan Thompson was an integral part of those teams. Uh, and and LeBron is notoriously um, <laughs> pretty re- ruthless about turning having his rosters turned over on his teams uh, when they're not kind of up to snuff. So I, I I don't know. I it, it's hard for me to argue in only because it seems so obvious to me. Like I I just Turner hasn't proven anything at all in the NBA. He had like one really good half season and then DeMontis Sabonis has just completely out-toughed him, outplayed him in every possible way. Like a year and a half ago, there was a question as to whether Sabonis or Turner was more valuable. And that's become so far from a conversation now. And that in part is in, in due to credit to Sabonis and how well he's played. But it's also because Turner has just gotten out-competed completely and out toughed and he he's just he i i think josh uh, and i don't quite agree on how readily i would characterize some of our other players as soft i don't think like tatum is soft i think he needs to keep building his toughness but i don't think he's soft um i i don't 22 year olds that perform like he do he does uh <laughs> don't get called soft by me um, and like, but and like he do turker group and like he do Turkaloo. Yes, both. <laughs> I think I think Turner's got a level or two to that that uh, of improvement in his based career. Based on what? Based on the way that Bigs develop, based on his skill set, based on his intelligence. I, I just I just I see that in his future. I don't necessarily think that he's currently the better fit for this Celtics team. But and Tristan Thompson is he's twenty nine. He's I, I think he's past his peak. Uh, not not. Uh, markedly so, but uh, I don't think he's got improvement ahead of him. Um, so I, I, I agree with you guys that Thompson is a better fit today for this team. I just wonder about what that timeline looks like. And I look forward to to coming around on, on Thompson. Uh, let's talk about Jeff Teague. Josh, how good is this guy? He's, he's I think, 33 at this point. Um, no, he's going to be 32. Okay, what's he bringing to this team? And and basically, we exchanged Wanamaker for him. Is is how I'm viewing it. Um, how how is he bringing something different to this team? What what are you seeing here? Yeah, I mean, we're losing Wanamaker. People are going to be upset because Wanamaker could switch defensively because he was big and strong. Jeff Teague six three one ninety five. He can hold his own on a switch, and he doesn't back down. You know, he's not as good as Wanamaker, but I want to say almost every other category, he's at least the same as Wanamaker or better. You know, and, I, and it, it took a little bit of digging to remember how good he was. You know, he's an elite point guard. I mean, he was averaging 16 points a game. Like, we're going to get five assists from him a game if we play him Wanamaker's 20 minutes. You know, it's, it's, we're going to get – he's going to play a lot. We're going to enjoy watching him play. He's going to bring an offensive mentality and some quickness. Um, he's he's a, a kind of a hidden gem, I think, as a third-string point guard on our team behind – Kemba, Marcus Smart. Now we got him. Uh, I really like the addition. He made an all-star team, didn't he? <laughs> he did on that 60-win Hawks mm-hmm. team. I think, didn't they have four? 
They had at least three with him. I think Corver made it too. So I think it was him, Corver, Horford, and Millsap that year. Well, it seems like the last two guys that Ainge picked up who made only one all-star team, we were given $100 million contracts to. So this one's kind of nice. Yeah, something in the 2 to $3 million range is much more uh, <laughs> palatable here. Uh, I think uh, the entire New England sports fandom uh, universe would have imploded if we gave $100 million to Jeff Teague. He's an 85% free throw shooter as well, you know, so anyone who complains about, well, Wanamaker's the best free throw shooter in the league. Yeah, but he shot two free throws every single game. And he made them. <laughs> Nailed them. Um, Josh, do you think, so, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of mad about the Teague signing. I think it's fine. Um, my biggest worry with him is he, he historically has had a score first orientation. Um, he's not a great shooter. As it stands right now, we probably will need him to be score first on the second unit. But if that's how our second unit is going to be designed, I think that's not not a great sign for us. But I think he has a lot of potential if he's oriented a bit more towards pass first, focuses on kind of penetrating and disrupting um, the defense, the second unit defense, and uh, you know, ideally, and this is this is kind of the the real lingering question in the Celtics offseason. Ideally, there's a a more viable wing or a more seasoned wing as part of our rotation uh, that has some some scoring capability that that is sharing the scoring burden on that second unit. Because um, right now we're we're a little bit bereft of uh, scoring options on on the bench beyond beyond Jeff Teague. So I don't I don't know. What do you guys think of? Are we gonna is it going to be problematic kind of asking Jeff Teague to, to lead scoring on the second unit? Do we need, do we need more? Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't think you're asking him. I don't think you're asking him to lead scoring or, or to be, you know, you don't, you don't need him to just go out and get buckets. You need him to, to play the game, you know, and he's, he's been around since 2009. He's been around. He's, you know, so it's like, you think he's 33, 34 just because he's been around for so long. But he's still got some, le- some enough left in the tank, in my opinion, um, that he can run the second unit. He can start if Kemp is injured. Like I think that he's he's a good player to add to a group of good players. And you know, the the one thing that our bench lacked was people who had been there and people who could help out in all ways. You know, I think that he can facilitate offense. I think that he can run the fast break re- really well. You know, he can get into the paint. You know, he's he's just kind of a guy, another shot creator, a guy, an attacker. He's really good at getting into the paint and staying on two feet and pivoting and getting, you know, shots off that are, are you know, little six, eight foot runners and things like that. Like he, he can create his shot, even in the, even a jump shot. He can create his jump shot. Well, too. He's got step backs. He's got moves. You know, he's a high pedigree guy. When Kemba uh, can't start, can't play, is, is Teague a reasonable starter? Yeah. I mean, ideally, I think you'd get you'd have smart starting at the one if someone else can step up on the wing that's in a perfect world you know depending on how Neesmith plays but yeah absolutely you know it's not it's not a it's not a good situation but he's a total viable yeah third string point guard he's a great pickup and so, and if you think about it in the context of who the Celtics have had at that spot the Shane Larkins you know all the bums that we've gone through like it's nice to finally have a third string point guard who's legit at the end of his career I do like the fact that we got two tougher veterans. I think this team needed that, um, especially with all the young players that we have. 
Shemi Ojale returns. Obviously, we picked up Tice, no brainer. Uh, Cantor and Poirier are gone. Shemi Ojale. How do you guys feel about the fact that we picked up that option? It surprised me. I hope it's traded. You know, I hope it's part of the trade. I, I really am disappointed <laughs> and will continue to be all year if Brad Stevens wants to give minutes to Shemi Ojale over Grant Williams or really anybody else. Um, yeah, it's it, it was hard enough to watch Shemi get minutes over over Williams in the playoffs last year. If now we're going to have to deal with watching Shemi get minute continue to get minutes over Grant Williams and get minutes over Neesmith and Romeo once Romeo's healthy, uh, which by all accounts won't be before January. Um, that's going to be brutal. So you know we all came to I think agreement by the end of the playoffs that Shemi clearly has some incriminating uh, information on Stevens, which is why he was a stalwart in the playoff rotation, despite the way he was performing. Um, so we really got to get, get him out of town or just wave him and, and eat that 1.7 million. Uh, I mean, Shemi by all accounts is a, is a great guy. I just don't want him playing any minutes in the Celtics rotation. <laughs> Mike, by my count, we have two roster spots available. One of those would go to Javante Green if we wanted to guarantee him, but we don't. I don't believe we have to make that decision right now. Uh, what is next for us in terms of where are we at uh, in terms of cap space? What are the options for what comes next for, for, for signing players? I believe we're at around $118, 119 million dollars in um in in salary once you factor in uh the Tristan Thompson and uh um Jeff T signings now what our options are is going to really depend on that Gordon Hayward sign and trade uh and whether that becomes a sign and trade if it's not a sign and trade all we've got available to us our vet minimum signings, um, the biannual exception, if that's not what we used on Jeff Teague. Um, and then we've got a couple of traded player exceptions from our other uh, moves in in shipping out um, NS Cantor to Portland. We got a $5 million traded player exception. And then in shipping out uh, Vincent Poirier, we got a $2 million player uh, traded player exception. So we have we have all of those options for sure. If we are able to trade, do a sign and trade with Hay- Hayward, that could give us up to like a 20, maybe even more than $20 million trade a player exe- exception. And then that expands the universe of options for us quite a bit. Um, anyway, we look, I think, I think we can we, yeah, can we combine those TPEs? No, no, no. TPEs are, are, can only be used by themselves. So they can't be they can't be bundled. They can be cut. They, yes, you can yeah. you can break up a TPE. So if you have one of twenty million dollars, you could you could get someone worth ten million and another guy worth ten million. But you can't okay. you can't you can't glom together two different ones. Um, so you also can't use one with a player like in combination. So you can't right. trade like a five million dollar salaried player and a two million dollar. TPE to get $7 million back. So they really like a TPE can really only be used by itself. Um, what were you going to say, Adam? Uh, so that if we use the biannual exception of about three and a half million, we cannot use it again next year. And we've got all the, these vet minimums. Uh, I'm curious, what do you feel like this roster still needs? And maybe if you have them ideas about 
who fills those needs. I mean, I think it's pretty clear we need we need a veteran wing. Uh ideally one that can put the ball in the basket uh reliably um that you know that is passable defensively <laughs> um that would be my, that would be my ideal someone with some offensive versatility and dynamism that that could be on our second unit on the wing on the wing on the wing yeah those those players don't exist anymore how about straight up shooters Wayne Ellington Kyle Korver those kinds of players yeah, I mean, the list that you got, Adam, with the Glenn Robinson the third being the only guy I would really take off of off of it. You don't Wayne Allington. He's he's not even that great of a shooter, in my opinion. Um, Kyle Korver's done. Andre Roberson. He he's we don't need that. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. He can't shoot. Honda uh, Ronde Hollis Jefferson is one guy that I would maybe think about, but he's kind of this is very similar to Ojale. Uh, maybe plays a little bit better defense in the post, but you know neither of them are that great. I, I just think we've kind of run out of options unless we can figure something out for Glenn Robinson the third. I wonder if like the dark horse veteran wing who can just be serviceable is Batum. Is there a chance? I mean, you guys seem to be thinking it's less likely that we'd actually take back Batum for the last year of his contract. I mean, I think I think that's possible. I don't see why we wouldn't consider that as opposed to a TPE. We cannot do that, actually, because, well, we, we, we would have to send additional salary out beyond Hayward. So when we right. when a team uses the full mid-level exception, we get hard capped at the tax apron, which is $139 right. million this year. So we got about $20 million of salary that we could take on. Um, and Batum makes 27 million now we could probably get to that seven million dollars by moving uh some folks but batum hasn't played effective basketball in quite a while um i'm not i'm not sure that he's the guy we'd want to bet on there is a chance that they that charlotte would waive him and we would if we if it's not a sign of trade then then they would have to waive batum and then he could come on a vetman so and this is kind of a reason obviously i'd rather have a vet but you know, I just don't understand why we gave away that 30th draft pick, which ended up being um, T-Rex arms, Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain, um, yeah. I think I think Desmond Bain would have been perfect in that in this spot. And I kind of like the rounding out the very, very end of the roster with rookies, with young guys. I, I, you know, I know that we want more vets, but I like the Peyton Pritchard signing. I think that he can play this year. And I would have loved Desmond Bain as well. Um, you know, and, and uh, we want like other guys playing the, the 15 minutes a game thing, but, you know, uh, also the, the dark horse here is that, you know, once Romeo does come back, which he's still in a cast, um, you know, he's projected not to be ready for the beginning of the season. And, you know, I just keep reminding myself that he's, I shouldn't expect anything out of Romeo Langford until January, um, when he can really get his feet. You know, wet I, I think back. later than that, I would I would temper expectations till February or maybe even March. And he's also limited in his ability to develop. I mean, this is the second off season he has missed, the second training camp he has missed. He just—it's really been unlucky that he hasn't been able to develop. So even when he does come back and he gets his wind and everything back, it's not like he's going to have a dramatically Im- improved jumper and and like you know. It's a shame. I disagree. You know, I think that we saw this from Ben Simmons when he was out for two straight years. Uh, I believe it was. 
you know, he was, when he came back, he was ready because he had been just sitting around watching film, studying the game, you know, in the weight room, getting stronger. I wouldn't be surprised if Romeo comes back, if his body's a little bit more filled out, if he's added 10, 15 pounds, you know, I think that he's going to be, uh, he's going to be the answer to this question. It's just how much of that will happen next year. I'm not sure. But I think eventually at the end of next year, I think that he's the answer to get the minutes at the wing that, you know, we're kind of looking for out of some other vet player that's not really out there right now. What do the players on the current roster need to do in order to make up for the loss of Hayward? This is really two, you know, a step, two steps back, one step forward with the draft and Tristan Thompson, et cetera. Hayward is a big loss. He, he provided uh, secondary ball handling and uh, offensive creation. Uh, Josh, we'll start with you, unless you want to throw it to Mike first. Uh, what, what do the current players need to improve on in order to make up for that? So all the things that Gordon Hayward did for us, the ball handling, the shooting, you know, I think we've gotten players to uh, ideally or theoretically replace those skills on the court. Jeff Teague is a great ball handler. He's a facilitator. Um, Neesmith, I think, can replace a lot of the shooting that Gordon Hayward is taking away. And, you know, I think what we're going to get is hopefully once Brad Stevens figures out his rotation, which, you know, Lord knows how long that takes for him sometimes. But I think that once we figure that out, it's, you know, we're going to be able to rely on people in their roles where Gordon Hayward, we never really could rely on him all the way. And I think that that should settle things down a little bit. But obviously we're going to, you know, just like we saw in the playoffs, we lost because of a lack of maturity and decision-making and shot selection and, and you know, in the games when it really mattered, when it was the, the brightest lights and the highest amount of pressure, you know, we're going to need to see these guys mature. It's really all going to be about the development of our youth. You know, Grant Williams is going to have to shoot the ball well because he's going to get minutes and he's, we're going to need his defense and his hustle and his toughness and his high IQ. So if he's shooting 36% from three, we're not really getting everything that we could out of him. If he's shooting 38 to 40%, now all of a sudden we got like a, a stud player um, who's, who's homegrown, you know, filling the roles that are these big free agents left. Um, and I think, I think that he's a key guy. I think that Romeo is a key guy. Um, and then we've added, you know, solid and tough additions. I think we're going to be fine. We're going to be, I think, a little bit better than we were last year. The question is, everybody else has gotten a lot better. And, you know, we'll cover that in, in future shows because the Eastern Conference, you know, has gotten way more formidable. The Lakers have gotten more formidable. So, you know, we'll see we'll see what the youth can bring. Yeah, I I agree basically with everything Josh just said. I, I think, you know, the, the things that I would particularly emphasize, which which Josh uh, talked about, are the decision making, the maturity. Um, I, you know one of the silver linings of Hayward departing is that now this entire team is fully built. Every player that came on board came on board knowing that it was, or was soon to be Tatum and Brown's team. Um, or at least has kind of grown up in that system. Like the, you know, whether it's smart or whether it's uh, Grant Williams, you know, people that we recently drafted, but so everyone knows what the what the ecosystem is 
And everyone is kind of part of that shared vision, which carries a lot of weight. Gordon Hayward, as we talked about earlier, was kind of, came in with a very different vision and the, the team changed its direction and, and the players that it prioritized the most kind of out from under him. And that's in any workplace, that's a hard thing to adjust to. Um, so that that's a silver lining, but that also means that it, how far the Celtics go, what they do, uh, really falls on the shoulders of, in particular, Jason Tatum, um, to a lesser extent, uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, and then the other young players, you know, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford. But they, you know, I, I don't think they're going to reach the same levels in all likelihood, though Josh and I did already predict that the Tatum, the Tatum-Romeo Langford trade will go down as the greatest in history. Um, <laughs> uh, so... What Hayward really brought was really, really quick decision making in addition to and like really good passing. And what we saw in the playoffs, especially when he wasn't there against the zone, was, you know, Tatum, Smart, um, actually less so Brown. Brown was really good about this, but Tatum and Smart and Kemba would over dribble, take too long, uh, not not move the ball. Um, quickly enough to to really mess with the zone defense and get the defense uncomfortable. And that's never an issue with Hayward. So that is the, the skill in particular is watching, you know, Tatum um, in particular get more assertive with his decision-making more quicker and, and continue to find and improve the balance between kind of uh, forcing the issue when trying to score or draw fouls versus drawing the attention of the defense, knowing how it's going to adjust to him doing that and then making the right pass. And he's got to be able to make those reads more quickly. And he's got to be uh, ready and willing to kind of initiate and, and force the issue the way like a Jimmy Butler does um, more regularly. So that to me, that's the, the biggest, biggest development and, and, We'll go basically from here on out over the next five years as far as Tatum takes us. Mike, that last point is exactly what I was thinking about, not just for Tatum, but for Jalen Brown as well and at, at all three levels. And, of course, for us to be competitive, especially without Hayward now, we need Kemba Walker to be healthy. That's really the only shot we have. Uh, and, you know, We'll talk more about this team relative to, to the other ones. Um, this has been a somewhat disappointing offseason to a lot of Celtics fans. Uh, how how do you evaluate Danny Ainge with this offseason? Does he deserve a lot of the the heat he's taking from from casual Celtics fans? Well, before you answer that question, can I just break some some news uh, that, that's occurred during? Yeah, Taco Fall officially signed uh, two way again with the Celtics. So make sure you're factoring that into uh, your evaluation of Danny Ainge this offseason. Uh, uh, it's critical. Yeah, we should say that the, the two-way contract has changed a little bit so that the, those players now get paid almost half of the vet minimum, which has increased a lot, and there's no restrictions on practice No time, restrictions this year. And yeah. they get to play in 50 games. So it's you. these players are going to be uh, more integrated into, the, into the, the full roster. So it would not surprise me if Tremont Waters also joined him on that um, at some point in the future. So, Adam, to answer your question, I think, uh, you know, on face value, we can look at Danny Ainge and say he didn't get anything back for Hayward. You know, I, I was on this podcast on record saying we should have traded him for this guy, for that guy, you know, even <laughs> even uh, Fournier. And I don't know if you guys would rather have done that deal now that we kind of lost him for nothing. 
But I think Danny Ainge is really good at knowing that he's not going to pay Terry Rozier that much. And he's not going to pay Al Horford that much. And he's certainly not going to pay Gordon Hayward, despite the relationship with Brad Stevens, that much. You know, like, you, you got to let these guys go. And it's not like he did nothing and, and was just kind of sitting back in his chair shocked that Gordon Hayward left. You know, he got right to work. He got two high-pedigree veteran role players who – you know, by all accounts, are going to be able to accept their role on our team and kind of bookend our young studs to to be more consistent. Um, and I think the consistency is kind of the thing that we didn't have with this guy who was injured all the time, who was supposed to be this all-star. You know, Marcus Smart's going into this offseason the first time in his career knowing he's got a starting spot. What does that do for the, you know, consistency and continuity of the mentalities of our players? You know, it's. I think it's. I think that Danny Ainge didn't do as bad as everybody said he did. I think that he did a good job recovering, and I think he got us better than we were last year. I think we will be better this year than we were last year, and then that says a lot because we surprised a lot of expectations. Um, but I don't think he had a bad off season at all. There is a narrative developing that there's something up in Boston because look at the stars that have left. Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, and Gordon Hayward. And when you actually take a step back and look at them, Kyrie, yeah, please go away. Drive him to the airport. Happy with that. Al Horford, way overpaid. Gordon Hayward, way overpaid. None of these were players that we wanted to retain unless they were going to do so uh, either at a lower cost or shifting their behavior. Uh, so I just don't, don't – that's wrong. That's a wrong narrative. And- Here's, here's the other piece of this, too. Um, how would it have looked to the fans or to other teams and other players around the league if Danny Ainge had, had traded Gordon Hayward midseason? You know, after what happened with IT, how would that have looked to other players? I don't, probably not so good. Maybe the fans would have liked it because we would have gotten some value back for him, and maybe the fans weren't high on Gordon Hayward. I wasn't really that high on him, but still, you know, the way this all worked out from a karmic retribution perspective, um, I, I think it's the, the IT, the way we did IT dirty, and then the, the karma of Gordon Hayward and his experience in Boston, it's all come for full circle now and the loop has closed. I think now we can karmically move on from that experience with IT um, because we lost the guy for nothing and we got him a huge contract. I, well, it, except for that very last piece, uh, Josh, about lost the guy for nothing. That that part we don't know, and and I'm going to circle back to that because that is part of my answer to the question on Ainge. But um, uh, I do I can't believe I'm saying this, but I do agree with you that I think the this karmic loop <laughs> that you have been pushing is now closed at some weird level. There there is a um there there is something fitting of of you know that triumvirate of it. Horford and Hayward uh, that never got to even enter a regular season game together uh, because of the Danny Ainge's uh, (laughs) cold hearted, uh, but perhaps management wise prudent decision to trade it um, leading to this karmic karmic uh, waterfall of problems over the the subsequent three years. Uh, Now all three players are gone from the roster. The decks are cleared, so to speak. 
uh, and ah. it's it's clearly it's clearly Tatum's team. So so I am uh, to my own surprise agreeing with you, Josh, on that. Um, but as far yeah, as you, you are. You are starting to see the way, young grasshopper. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's. All right, but, all right. Slow down, but, Sensei Josh. <laughs> does, does Peyton Pritchard choosing to wear number eleven play a role in this at all? Uh, no, no, it does not. <laughs> Peyton Pritchard. Uh, I think I. You know, I. I joked on the Celtic Slack. Uh, well, quasi joked. Uh, it took me all of ten hours to go from like apoplectic about the decision to draft him to talking myself into it. But I don't see Peyton Pritchard playing much of a role in anything this season. Um, I think I think he'll be able to play some minutes. Uh, he's a mature a mature rookie. But um, can I make another aside before you keep going there? Yeah. Peyton Pritchard's got these videos online of of him dribble doing dribbling drills in a garage which are ridiculous. They're insane. The guy is a maniac. I happen to have watched that and then watched Tristan Thompson working out this summer, also doing dribbling drills. And it, it's like the difference between me and an NBA player doing dribbling drills. <laughs> Tristan Thompson <laughs> cannot dribble. <laughs> but and Peyton Pritchard, while we're on the subject of Peyton Pritchard, he's a, this is a guy who's used to averaging 20 points per game shoot 41-42% from three on seven threes a game. That's super high volume of three-point attempts. Um, and he can get five, four or five assists a game. Like This is a guy who is tough. He's, he's, uh, I got a long scoring re- scouting report on Peyton Pritchard right now. He's, he's got some really uh, pro footwork. You know, We talked about him a little bit on the previous pod, comparing him to some guys like Del Vadova. I see him... You know, there's shades of Chris Heron in in his kind of offensive um, savvy. He you know, like when he pro hops in the lane, it really reminds me of Chris Heron, who, as we all know, was was an amazing player before uh, off the court issues derailed his career. But uh, I've also seen some footwork that I've seen from Luka Doncic that the kind of instead of a euro step, the long step, like those long strides where you kind of slow your pace towards the rim and and lean into contact. Um, that's something that Pritchard does really well. He gets to the free throw line. I mean, I don't think that he's like a tough guy, but I don't think that he's soft either. He's another guy who's going to um, increase the toughness score overall on our team. And I think, Mike, you're wrong. I think he will play some this year, and I think fans are going to like him. I thought he'd play some. I just I don't think he's going to be like the difference maker in in this year's grand scheme. But no, I think I think he'll play. He could play even five to ten minutes a game over the course of the regular season. He's he's going to be mature. But he is I, the he is the number four point guard on our roster because I'm prescient. I mentioned that Tremont Waters might sign a two way in the near future. Jared Weiss reporting Tremont Waters re-signing with the Celtics on a two way contract. Yes, um, and so Waters will be right. behind Pritchard in the depth right. chart, in my opinion. All right, Mike, Danny Ainge. Uh, yes, I want to get back to Danny Ainge because so. The thing about Danny Ainge's offseason, so I would rather have Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague than Ennis Cantor and Brad Wanamaker. I think it increases our ceiling in the playoffs to just make that two-for-two two swap. So that's that's part one. Part two, as far as Gordon Hayward, and there's conversation, you know, Josh, you were saying just a moment ago, whether we should have traded Gordon Hayward last year. One, um, both of you guys, more so than me, actually, were were felt like the Celtics were a legit championship contender last season. That was predicated on having a healthy Gordon Hayward. And we saw how much it hurt not to have Gordon Hayward in the Eastern Conference Finals last last year. So if you really think you have 
you know, even a 10% chance of winning the finals, you don't break up that team at the risk of one of the players leaving in the offseason. So I just, uh, I don't understand the argument that we should have traded Hayward last year. Uh, third point, final point on, on evaluating Danny Ainge's offseason is that it's still not over. If we get a traded player exception and like, let's say, let's say uh, it's 17 or $18 million, you know who we could trade for, Josh? The player you wanted to trade Gordon Hayward for, Evan Fournier. So that still becomes an option for us. Um, and, and it's very possible for us to, by, before the end of this season, to have Evan Fournier slide in, giving up maybe one or two young players or, or some drop, draft picks um, in, into this rotation. So we, we would basically have gone from Hayward, who's obviously a better player than Fournier when healthy, but was not reliably healthy, um, uh, go from Hayward, Cantor, and Wanamaker to Tristan Thompson, Fournier, and Teague with uh, still developing Tatum, a still developing Brown, both of whom are locked up for four plus years, uh, still developing Smart, and then a bunch of young talent. So um, was it a perfect offseason? No, of course not. Um, but we're not in a bad position. And I think you know, to Josh, your point on Ainge knowing where and when to value guys and to walk away from a deal, our worst contract is Kemba Walker at this point. I, I would not be surprised if we moved him in the next one and a half years. Oh, boy. I was going to joke, trade Kemba because you just said he's our worst contract. He's not a bad contract. We're not. I didn't say Kemba he's a bad contract. I didn't say he's a bad contract. I said he's our worst. That's my point. He's our worst exactly. contract. But don't then follow it up by saying we should trade him. I didn't say we should. I said I wouldn't be surprised if we did. I wouldn't. Would you be surprised if if we traded Ainge and or if Ainge will trade anybody? We traded Kemba in a like within the next year and a half. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I I think if we're gonna make a trade for a big salary player at some point, I'm sure Kemba is going to be the first player that we try to trade. Gotcha. Uh, But but that's a different conversation. Anyway. Um, but my, that's exactly my point. I think Kemba is a good conversation. I was defending us having Kemba when we recorded that a few weeks ago. Um, and that's our worst contract on the books. And so because of that, we always have flexibility and maneuverability. We're always in a position where we can recover and pivot and still have a really talented team that's going to be competitive. Um, and, you know, Part of Ainge's success or lack of success this offseason should be should acknowledge the fact that we just signed Jason Tatum to this extension while Markel Fultz is <laughs> on the Orlando Magic after you know um, suffering catastrophic and near career ending yips uh, as the number one pick in that same draft when we held that pick like that you know so. Ainge isn't perfect. No one's perfect, but we are once again going to be in the conversation for the Eastern Conference Finals. Have a chance to get out of the East, um, despite Hayward just walking away. So this team is full right now, if you count Javante Green, uh, including the the two two ways. Uh, so barring using the traded player exception, veteran minimum, or the biannual exception, uh, this this team the roster. <laughs> is set. Uh, hopefully there will be some movement around those, those moves. 
uh, and we'll we'll certainly be talking about it if it happens. Mike, this team, as a result of of Hayward opting out, went below the salary cap and became a non-taxpaying salary cap team this year. Uh, talk nerdy to me. Tell me what does that mean related to the repeater tax, et cetera. Right. Well, so this is the flip side. If we got someone like uh, Evan Fournier, I believe we would be back in the tax. Um, so that, but so the repeater tax comes into effect when you are a taxpaying team. Um, I think in three out of four seasons of yes. the the prior four seasons. So, uh, you know, it's not my money. It's not your money. But it's Wick and Steve uh, <laughs> and and Bob Epstein's money um, and Rich Gotham. Yeah. They have always uh, paid for winners, but it can become difficult when you have the economic situation that, that is currently happening, where the, the owners are basically loaning money to the players over the next few years for the collective bargaining agreement, cannot have fans in the stands, um, and, and you've got a, a lower salary cap, so, so higher um, tax for teams. Um, and and this, the Celtics were a tax team, not last year, but the year before. So if they were a tax team again, this is this is year two out of three. So next year, assuming they're a tax team again, and expect them to be with Tatum's contract com, uh, coming onto the books, the new extension, um, then they start paying the repeater tax next year. Um, and they started the clock on this, uh, and hopefully this is the last time I ever have to mention this, because they picked up Gershon Yabusele's option and didn't then trade him midseason which didn't make any sense to me at the time and I think was a mistake. Um, and hopefully it doesn't come back to bite them. Hopefully this ownership group decides to spend freely, assuming that we can get good enough to, to be a real title contender over the next few years. All right, guys, I've got a, I've got a special, special goodbye to one of my favorite Celtics. Um, I'd like to wish Ennis Cantor uh, a fond farewell. We should have had you, Ennis, a year earlier. We always did like the Turkish players. We enjoyed Seme Erden when he came through town. Uh, we stand behind you in your crusade for social justice in Turkey and believe in everything you're doing. Um, and uh, it just so happens that we found the only player in the league that is better than you at the only thing you're good at on the court, offensive rebounding. So in exchange for that, uh, maybe we'll title this podcast the Enes Cantor Farewell Podcast. Gule gule te shakir Take care. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening, everyone.